everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Amos. I'm one of the lead pastors here. As many of you know, my wife, Allison, who is co-lead pastor, is 38 weeks pregnant. So if I walk off the stage, uh, there's a plan. Don't be alarmed. It's a good thing. Uh, but, you know, could be today. <laughs> we're, we're definitely in that mode. So I would love for you, if you didn't on your way in or didn't bring your Bible from home, to grab one of the Bibles from the back cart. Their uh, page numbers line up with what will be on the screen. And I always think it's helpful to have a pen in hand, even if you're borrowing a Bible. Uh, I, like, I like marking up Bibles, and that'll kind of help you see some things, I think, as we study God's Word today. We're reading, uh, first of all, from John chapter 15. Yep, there it is, with the page number there. But we're uh, alongside of that passage, finishing up, or at least finishing up the portion of our Live No Lie series, where we will be reading sections from this book by John Mark Comer. I hope that you have a copy, read a copy. Does anyone not have a copy and want this one? Come on down. First one here. I'll set this here for you. Um, the book goes through the three enemies of our soul. We sometimes think about having an enemy, the devil, but we actually have three of them, the devil, the flesh, and the world, and we've been looking at them week by week. So the first week we talked about the devil, but we don't want to talk too much about the devil. We want to talk about that Jesus is victorious, right? And so then we did a renunciation of the devil, but also proclaimed some of the core beliefs that we have as followers of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the enemy of the flesh and the, well, the, the counter to that is God's spirit. And we did a time of confession, but also we took communion. This week, as we talk about the world, we'll also be talking about God's kingdom and we'll be saying the Lord's prayer together. We've been doing, um, oh no, I forget the word for him, responsive readings throughout the series. It's not something that we typically do in the vineyard, but it's one of the ways that we can like together speak out truth and pray to God. And so we hope, I hope that it's been formational to us all. Uh, after this series, we'll be doing like four weeks of communion together. So through the God Story Sunday and the TED Talks, we'll be taking communion. It's uh, something we do throughout the year is take communion, but it's been like, I think, nourishing to take a different spiritual discipline every month or every series and continue to explore and feed our souls that way. There should be a quote about uh, the devil's strategy that we can put up. This has been a quote we've looked at throughout this series, and it's been hopefully gaining depth each week as we talk about the enemies of our soul. Let me just read it. The working theory of the devil's strategy is that deceitful ideas play into disordered desires that are normalized 
in a sinful society. So with that, hopefully you're at John chapter 15 by now. These are the words of Jesus. And you'll notice that he talks over and over again about the world. Now, the Greek word here is cosmos. You've all heard that word before, right? One of the confusing things is that in the Bible, the word cosmos can mean different things. So the word cosmos is kind of like the, the phrase, the eagles. So I can say the eagles, and most of you are thinking... The band, no. <laughs> the football team. And some of you are thinking Hotel California, right? So when we hear the word cosmos, sometimes we're talking about like the universe or more specifically the people that God has created. That's what the Bible can mean by cosmos. But it can also mean something else. It can represent one of the enemies of the soul, which is what we'll be looking at today. So when Jesus says the world, don't think all those people. Remember, I've said this a few times, people are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy, or the enemies are the enemies, but that doesn't come off the tongue quite as well. So John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of, what, out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. Now, I want you to just a minute, circle that phrase, I chose you to come out of the world. The idea that we are a people called and chosen to do God's work in the cosmos, the world, to people, uh, is one of the fundamental truths about what it means to follow Jesus. This connects to words that Jesus said just before this passage and just after. So in other words, there are some characteristic qualities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you jump up to verse 16, Jesus says, You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command love each other. So circle the word fruit and circle the word love and maybe even draw a little arrow from I chose you to come out of the world up to love. But then if you jump down to verse 26 of chapter 15, but I will send you the advocate. You know who that is? Well, he explains the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. He will come to you from the father and will testify all about me. So Maybe just circle the word spirit and you can draw an arrow kind of in that general direction because it's hard to cross the page. So to be called out means that we are producing the fruit, the, the investment in people, the way we pray for people is designed to produce fruit in them and they will know that we follow Jesus by our love and they will know that we follow Jesus because of the spirit that dwells within us. 
the spirit of truth. This is pretty different from how some people view church. Some people view church as a place where I can sit back and relax, where I can be comfortable, where I can consume or just simply listen to words that are spoken and listen to the music. That is not the calling of Jesus. Sitting back and being comfortable, Jesus never said. Jesus calls us out. Jesus confronts us. Jesus calls us to repentance. Jesus commands us to love one another, and that gets messy. But we're not left to our own devices. We are given the spirit of truth, which empowers us to do this in a world that hates us. Isn't it amazing that right after Jesus says, love one another, it would say that the world hates us. So there's probably a couple things going on. What we think of love in the 21st century might not mean exactly what Jesus meant by love. That might be what's going on at one level. It might also mean that as we love, there's actually some force behind the reaction to what is from God that is called the world. So let's look at a couple of quotes here. First from Dallas Willard. He's, well, he's written some books that are worth reading. He says, or defines the world as our cultural and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. Remember, not people, not all the people, not the world that God says, I so dearly loved that I gave my only son. The world is this kind of spiritual domain, Dallas Willard says, of Satan. Gary Brashear says something similar. The world is Satan's domain where his authority and values reign, though his deception makes that hard to realize. If you are of the world, then it all seems right. So remember, there are kind of two valleys that you can fall into, two ditches. One is that you give the enemies too much attention and you become obsessed and you start trying to cast baby Yoda uh, because you confuse baby Yoda with Satan or something. And the other is that you just pretend like this isn't a real dynamic that we're all facing as followers of Jesus. So you can say, the world, the world, the world, the world. What a horrible, like if your focus is all on the horrible, rotten place, then you've actually become obsessed. But if you don't realize that there's a, a, a real dynamic that stands against us, then you've also been deceived. And I'll say, uh, I have been at times sloppy with how I use the word culture. So sometimes when I use the word culture, what I really mean is the world. The thing you must understand is God, God loves culture. He commissioned it. He said to the people, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, go and fill the earth and rule over it, which could be understood as fill it with culture uh, in all of its unique expressions. You see at the end of the Bible in Revelation that the, the culture, uh, the, the gifts, the goods, the music, the food, probably even the way that people dress are brought into the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. And so God commissioned culture, he wants to redeem culture, and he celebrates it. So while the world, as Jerry Brashears and Dallas Willard and John Mark Comer and I would say Jesus define it, 
tries to sink its teeth into culture and twist and distort it, that is not ultimately where God is taking it all. So now John Mark Comer from that book, he says, the world is what happens when a lot of people give in to their flesh and base animalistic desires are normalized. A system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God, the redefinition, and the redefinition of good and evil. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve commit like basically two sins. They rebel, but they also want to redefine good and evil for themselves. It's like the pre-postmodern idea. So the postmodern concept of I define my own truth and I should live that truth goes way back. The world, cosmos in the enemy sense, is what happens when Adam and Eve's sin goes viral and spreads through society. The result, the distorted becomes normative. Sin is recast as any number of things, freedom, human rights, reproductive justice, the way things are, nature, science, and boys will be boys, anything but sin. Now again, don't hear that freedom and human rights and nature and science are bad things, just that these become rationale for the behavior that my flesh wants to live out or into. So these are excuses to commit what the Bible would call sin. Every follower of Jesus and every culture has to constantly ask the question, in what ways have I been assimilated into the host culture? Where have I drifted from my identity and inheritance? The temptation for us in the West is less to atheism and more to a DIY faith that's a mix of the way of Jesus consumerism, secular sex ethics, and radical individualism. So the devil, the flesh, and the world. Let me jump, uh, I don't have a slide for this, but if you have your Bibles, I'll give you a second to turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It's pretty interesting, uh, I think, that the gospel writer of John, who we just read from, like Jesus' words through John, returns to this idea in one of his letters. Um, again, this is the same author who wrote, God so loved the world, the people, that he gave his one and only son. But he nuances this spiritual enemy uh, or gives a different definition of the world cosmos here in First John 2, verse 15. Remember, God so loved the world. 1 John 2.15 on page 1308. Did you guys find it? Sorry, who's still looking? Okay, got it. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride 
and our achievements, achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases the God, the Father, will live forever. So one of the things that this passage teaches us is that one of the main differences between someone who gives their life to Jesus and who doesn't is people who give their life to Jesus have an eternal outlook. They see people as created in the image of God with a soul destined to live forever. And the world is very short-sighted. What do I want now? What can, what can I do to fill that craving inside of me for joy and peace that I can take right now? And if you're living in the world's like system of values, then people become a byproduct or a way to get rich or a way to gain influence or a way to get likes or a way to achieve what you want. People become pawns to be mobilized. But if you're following the way of Jesus, you can never see someone as a number or as a simply a potential customer or a potential follower. You see them as an eternal being destined to live forever with God. That was the design, and that is the goal. The other thing is that I will say, when I think about the devil, the flesh, and the world, the world is actually the one that makes me the most depressed. And it was interesting, as I was preparing, I got one of those telesurveys. And uh, I'd been just declining the call for a long time, but I looked into it, and it was like, okay, this is legit. I don't know what the survey's for, but of course it was political. And so they're asking me which political party I align to, and I say, well, neither really. And then they say, who do you think, are you going to vote? Yes, I, I'm going to vote. Who are you going to vote for? But the way they asked the questions were so manipulative and so misleading and so depressing when you try to take the values of Jesus and stick them into a political platform. Because it's like every other question, I was like, oh man, what do I do to like win against the world? The world is like so much bigger than me. Like I, I believe that the power of the spirit can come in me and help battle the flesh. And honestly, like demons listen to the power of the name of Jesus. Like in the times in my life where I face demonic forces, when I say in the name of Jesus, like, get out of here, they maybe don't listen right away, but they eventually listen. But what do I do to stand against the world? And all I can do is go back to the world, like to the words of Jesus and remember that the world is actually fading away. Jesus says in another place in John, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And so I may be just at that age where I stop believing that I can change the world <laughs> and, and, and started to get sad about how hard it is to change the world. But then the faith statement, the place I can stand, the rock, 
is that Jesus' kingdom is coming. And the world, the system, the kingdom of Satan is fading and has been defeated. And so let's now turn to Matthew chapter 6. This is the Lord's Prayer, which we will be reading here in a minute. But I want to use the Lord's Prayer actually as a way to contrast the world as Satan's domain with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where God reigns, where God rules. It's not a geographic place. And I think what John Mark Homer is trying to tell us is there's actually a battle between like God and Satan that rages in the world. And also, I think in my experience, inside of each of us, I see it in some of us. I see it in myself. Like Jesus is going to win the war, but sometimes I lose a battle, it seems. And so let's this, this prayer has just been so precious to the church. And when his disciples asked Jesus, how do I pray? He says, pray like this. So let's just start in verse seven. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them for your father knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. So why does God listen to our prayers? Not because of the many words, but because why? He's our father, and he knows. It's a status. He listens to us because we are his children. Jesus says, pray like this. Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And if you, if you have an NLT, you'll see down at the bottom, most of us know the prayer with a little epilogue, so to speak. It says, or from some manuscripts, add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So we'll pray that too, because that's how I learned the prayer. But if you, if you have your pens there, let's just, could you draw a line? between verse 9 and verse 10. And between verse 10 and verse 11. And between verse 11 and verse 12. (laughs) And between verse 12 and verse 13. That'll just maybe help you visually see what we're talking about as we walk through. So remember, the kingdom of God is where God rules and where God reigns. And it's not a geographic reality, it's a spiritual reality. The world is the domain or the kingdom of Satan. And so let me ask you this to just kind of help clarify. Do you think it is the kingdom of God or the world that is at work in our political system 2022? Okay, sometimes I say on the count of three, say what you're thinking. You want to do that? (laughs) Say God or world. One, two, three. Okay, so that's, I was expecting that. And that's because like we're all a little frustrated, aren't we? Here's the reality. Uh, 
Also, if you're libertarian, you would say the world. So I don't know if that means we're all libertarian. But the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world are actually both at work in our political system today. They're both at work in people, in the structures, in the culture. I know sometimes it's hard to believe that the government can do good things, but it happens. It's maybe just not in the news. So remember, we're not talking about a geography or a people or an institution. I would say, with maybe just a few exceptions, every institution is in the battle zone of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And we believe, I keep saying it, we believe that Jesus has victory, that his kingdom is stronger than Satan's kingdom. And that that kingdom, while we do not experience it in its fullness, and it, we live in the tension of the already not yet, there will be a day when Jesus returns and everything will be made holy. It's in the book. Read the book. Okay, so, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Satan is called, do you know, the prince of this world. So we have a contrast between our father in heaven, or you might think of prince or ruler as despot. Now, his power is stolen. His power is temporary. He will be defeated. But you have a contrast between like a relationship we have with our father in heaven and this rebellious, subversive prince of this world. It says, may your name be kept holy. To contrast God's holiness and God's design for life, what, what Satan does is he actually twists and pollutes and vandalizes God's world as he created it. You could put it this way. He vandalizes shalom or he vandalizes peace. Satan, we talked about this a few weeks ago, is a created creature. He's got limited power. He is not co-equal with God. In fact, if you kind of look at the biblical narrative, he's more akin or his equal would be like the angel Gabriel. And sort of if you just try to map out like who goes to battle with who, but who really sits on the throne of heaven, like God sits on the throne of heaven. Um, but Satan was like created a good being and his goodness was twisted and polluted by his pride and by his desire to define good and evil for himself, which he traps us into. So God is holy. Satan's work is to twist and to sow lies into the truth. And that's where they can hide and work best if his lies are sown into the truth. And that's why when it comes to something, like the more beautiful something God created it to be, the more tragic it is when God or when Satan twists it. So like you think about how beautiful sex is and how God designed it to be this like physical but spiritual union and connection between people. And Satan just confuses us about what it's really for. Verse 10, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's, that could almost work as a definition. Where, what does it mean for God's kingdom to come? It is that his will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. Contrast to that, to the world where Satan's 
deceitful ideas, play to our flesh, get normalized in the world. I think one of the great um, lies that Satan sows in our world today is that there is no such thing as sin. We see that actually in the biblical view that the good news is not God loves you, so do what you want. Whatever you do, it's cool. You'll be accepted because God's love you. Like that's, it's like a bit of truth. God loves you. So there's no real like substance to sin, that's not true. The call of Jesus, the model of Jesus, even here in this prayer in verse 12, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. The good news is not God loves you no matter what. I mean, that's true. So do what you want. The good news is God loves you. And if you repent, if you confess, he will forgive you and you'll be free. Do you hear the difference? In the world, the only real sin is that you would call something sin. Have you seen this on Facebook? Have you experienced this in your life? To say, no, that's wrong. That's when the world's claws come out. How could you say such a thing? You're so judgmental. You shouldn't be able to tell me what to do with my freedoms. The way of Jesus says, I have set you free to do good and to serve others and to lay down your life, to love. And so verse 10, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 12, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Let's not forget, forget verse 11, give us today the food we need. God cares about your bodies. God didn't create junk and he doesn't junk what he created. When Jesus goes around bringing God's kingdom to people, you see a, a call to return to God, a promise that if you do, you will be accepted and loved and forgiven. But also these miraculous healings, which he says to us, his disciples, you do that too. Part of God's kingdom coming is that the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear and the mute speak and cancer gets healed. And we've seen some of that in our church over the last two or three years. Jesus is a healer and Satan is a killer. Satan brings death and disease and sickness and Jesus wants to bring life. We serve a God of life. His kingdom brings life. Verse 13, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. That's what we've been talking about. And so what I want to do is invite you to stand. And this Lord's Prayer reading is more than the Lord's Prayer. You will, on your lips, be speaking the Lord's Prayer. I will be adding from a, there, there's a rich, like, theological, like, discipleship curriculum that was written 500 years ago that uh, 
walks through the Lord's Prayer. And so I'll be borrowing some language from that as, as we pray. So let's turn our hearts to God and pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Help us to really know you, to bless, worship, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. Help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will always be honored and praised. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Keep your church strong and add to it. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force that revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. Do this until your kingdom has come in its fullness. Help us, one and all, to carry out the work we are called to. Give us today our daily bread. Take care of all of our physical needs so that we come to know that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our work nor worry can do us any good without your blessing. And so help us to put trust in you alone. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because of Christ's blood, you do not hold against us any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Give us your grace so that we would be able to forgive every wrong done against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, uphold us and make us strong with the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may be delivered from the devil, his servants, his works, and his lies. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We put our trust in you, God, knowing that he will provide whatever we need for body and soul and will turn to our good whatever adversity we face in this sad world. God is able to do this because he is almighty king and desires to do this because he is faithful father. Amen. So stay standing. The worship team is going to be coming forward. I would just invite you into a place of welcome. When we say, come Holy Spirit, we believe that the Holy Spirit is everywhere all the time. But that like at Pentecost, like with some of his prophets, the Holy Spirit will come in a unique way and rest on us. And so we expect him to speak. We expect him to meet us. We expect him to renew us and revive us. And so maybe even just to, to do something in your bodies, to be in a receptive posture, like putting your hands out or, or lifting your head up. As I say, come Holy Spirit. Bring your kingdom.
we believe that you have the victory, Jesus, that your spirit is here. And so we ask for more. We want both an experience of you, but also an outpouring outpouring of worship from our hearts now. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.